Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know what's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And before the season started, I had on somebody to talk about something from a very interesting perspective involving the Jets. He was comparing the Jets to the Portland Trailblazers because he's a sports talk radio host out in Portland for NBC Sports Northwest and also for Rip City Radio 620 AM out there. And he was talking about how the Jets and the Portland Trailblazers had in common the fact that their fan base was getting a little too far ahead of themselves because they were looking at improvements that the team had made but weren't taking into account improvements that other teams had made and that perhaps this was leading to inflated expectations and that people were looking at things through their Homer goggles. And he turned out to be exactly right. I agreed with him for the most part that we were getting a little ahead of ourselves, but certainly as we have seen with the Jets, things have not gone best case scenario. And this is something that he spoke about as well, that everybody tends to look at things through best case scenario lenses. And that has certainly not been the case with the New York Jets. I am, of course, talking about the host of the Brian No Show, 12 to 3 Pacific Time on 620 Rip City Radio and NBC Sports Northwest, Mr. Brian No. Brian, welcome back to the show, man. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me over here. I got some turkey, hung out with the family. You know what? By the way, a rant to start this whole thing off. 
I don't understand all these anti-Turkey on Thanksgiving people. There's been a lot more of these people that are against Turkey. I, I don't think they're Americans, you know? I don't think they're true Americans after saying something like that. It's good enough to embrace it on Thanksgiving. That's what I'd say. I'm with you, Brian, and that's why I think that the Applebee's thing works out so well for you in Portland because as you talked about the last time you were on the show and as you talk about on your show all the time, you like Applebee's because it's simple. You don't think that it's anything amazing, but it's good. It gives you what you need, and turkey is quintessentially American on Thanksgiving. So for the people that are being anti-turkey on Thanksgiving, as you said, I think they're just trying to be different and being contrarians when really they're just being annoying buzzkills. Yeah, or they don't know how to prepare it. You know, if I singe a hamburger, that doesn't mean that hamburgers are bad. That just means I don't know how to cook them. You know, <laughs> I don't think people know how to cook turkey. That's what's going on over here. And they're blaming turkey for their shortcomings. That's what I think is happening over here. And you're right. It's an easy and convenient hot take to go against the grain and say thumbs down on turkey on Thanksgiving. I call those people crazy. That's what I call them. I'm with you. The only thing that I will say is Manish Mehta from New York Daily News, who appears on the show once a week. He's a vegetarian, so he doesn't eat turkey, and his whole family is vegetarian. So I'll give him a pass because there's a legitimate reason. But everybody else, just eat the turkey on Thanksgiving. Why do you got to be different? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yes, if you're anti-meat, you know, if you're a vegetarian, vegan, fine. I understand that. If you're a meat eater, you can't go thumbs down on turkey on Thanksgiving. Speaking of meat, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this matchup between the Jets and the Dolphins. We already saw the Dolphins beat the Jets the first time around. And Brian, I think it's funny because on your show, you dedicated a segment to me where on Fridays you talk about the teams that are actually worse than the Jets, so teams that the Jets are better than. And over the weeks, the number of teams that you've been able to say that the Jets are better than have been lower and lower and lower, lesser and lesser and lesser to the point now where you'd have to legitimately ask yourself if they're even better than the Dolphins, who at this point, it's not like they're tanking the way that everybody thought they were going to because going into the season, I've never seen a concerted effort, at least by the front office, to strip away as much as possible. We saw what happened trading Laramie Tunsil to the Houston Texans. We then saw later on Minka Fitzpatrick getting traded. You heard all of these stories about players that wanted out, going to their agents, telling them they wanted out of Miami, they wanted no part of this. But things have really changed. The Dolphins now have three wins. They just got another big win over the Philadelphia Eagles, a comeback win. And it seems like the players are really buying into what Brian Flores is selling down there. Yeah, man, they play hard. That's one thing where the talent level is pretty low overall but they play hard and to be gosh um when they picked up that first win against the jets they started off what oh and seven yeah they were oh and seven at the time when they beat the jets there are a lot of teams that at oh and seven would have just packed it up and that was you know right after losing to the steelers on a monday night where it was a close game it was a respectable game but um, they haven't mailed it in. Like you said, that was more of a front office type deal to try to reset and plan for the future gathering draft picks. But for a team that, you know, they were up against it all year from a talent standpoint, they have played hard and they've bought in. So it gives you a lot of hope if you root for the Dolphins that if they upgrade that talent, 
and they hit on those boatload of picks that they've acquired, if that effort level still stays the same, they could be a really decent team and not too long from now. And some guys have stepped forward that not everybody expected. Devontae Parker, who a lot of people thought was a bust, has really played very well this season. A lot of that, obviously, is because he hadn't stayed healthy before. He's finally playing healthy, but he's doing really well. He's somebody that Adam Gase apparently wanted to get rid of if he had stuck around, but he has flourished under Brian Flores. Also, Jesse Davis, who is signed to an extension in August. He's played the best football of his career. He looks like he could be a keeper. Mike Gusecki, who was drafted last season, he's really stepped up. In fact, he crushed the Jets in the last matchup. So talk to me a little bit about this. There have been some players that have developed some of them out of nowhere. I know, like we said, that they traded away some of the key pieces, but there are some keepers on this team, even above and beyond Xavier Howard, who is out for the year, but who is the only piece that everybody assumed was for sure a building block. It looks like there are a couple more building blocks on this Miami team than we realized. Yeah, I mean, they went with uh, Raekwon McMillan out of Ohio State. He was a second-round pick in 2017. And then last year, Jerome Baker, who is another Ohio State guy. Those are their linebackers. Christian Wilkins, he hasn't had a huge impact, but as a 13th pick overall being a rookie, I still think he has a lot of potential and is one of those building block type players. They don't have a lot of talent, but they do have a few grinders where we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't part of their long-term plans, but that dude plays hard. He's lowering his head against the Eagles. And I'm like, there really is nothing in terms of the playoffs and things like that to play for other than pride, being a professional, being a competitor. And that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. So that sort of attitude, that's contagious. And when you have a quarterback like that, who isn't just going through the motions, collecting a paycheck, he's crazy. And I mean that as a compliment. Uh, I think that really does trickle down to the rest of the team. And even though he might not be a keeper, he's one of those guys that can start to lay a foundation where some of the borderline guys, they see that, they feed off of it, and they can, in turn, if they have the talent, become keepers when you're looking at the long-term picture going forward. Are you surprised at how well Fitzpatrick has played? Because obviously he was here with the Jets, so we know he can get hot. There are times where he can play very well, and he had a really nice season for the Jets in 2015, and then 2016, the clock struck midnight, and he went back to being Ryan Fitzpatrick. But for the Dolphins, he's done very well. Everybody assumed that it was going to be Josh Rosen's chance to shine, that this would be his audition, his opportunity to convince the Dolphins that they didn't need to draft a quarterback. Instead, Rosen ends up getting benched. It's Fitzpatrick, and he is the one that's spearheading a lot of this Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from Fitzpatrick. I know that you said he's playing hard. That's something he's always done. But are you surprised at the leadership and the intangibles that he's brought to the team? Not really, because we know what he is. You know, he's a guy that (laughs) it's crazy because he has 13 touchdowns, 11 picks. And Sam Darnold has 13 touchdowns, 10 picks. So that's, (laughs) that's, that's not where you want Sam Darnold, the number three overall pick. To be, I realize he's young in his development early on, but I mean, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is not one of these even above average quarterbacks. Like you said, he's a guy who's streaky, but 
you know, he doesn't have a ton to work with. There are obviously some shortcomings with this roster, but he's a guy who's going to battle. He's a guy who's going to take some chances. He's going to make some good throws. going to have some great plays during some games. He's going to have some hideous plays and awful decisions, but he's going to battle. And for a team that is lacking a lot of talent, you want a guy that will at least battle and set a good tone. And that's something that, inarguably, that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick does. But he's, you know, he's really low in terms of passer rating this season. He's one of the worst in the league, 30th overall. I think that we just don't have high expectations for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So when he wins a game or has a good performance, it's like, hey, look at Fitzpatrick over here. But over the long haul, he leaves a lot to be desired. But I have no beef with him. As a Dolphins fan, we know that the talent is lacking and the effort is always there from the guy. And in a season like this, I'm totally content with that. You're really not asking for much more. It's not like the Dolphins have playoff aspirations and he's holding them back. He's just trying to put lipstick on a pig. That's really what his job is. And when you consider that, I think he's done a pretty good job. What went wrong with Rosen? I mean, I, he was just, he was so bad that they reverted back to Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though we know he's definitely not the guy going forward. So it just shows you <laughs> how bad Rosen has been. He just was inaccurate inconsistent he was one of the worst guys statistically when he got his chance and again when you look at the lack of talent with the Dolphins that certainly is part of it but when Ryan Fitzpatrick can still find ways to at least be respectable based on what they are limited with personnel wise you got to look at Josh Rosen and be like dude we don't need you to be a top 10 even a top half quarterback in the game you just can't be at the bottom, bottom of the barrel. And he, that's what he showed. So they just said, we can't, in good faith with the other guys in the roster, put you there on Sundays under center. So he just, he was that bad, really. In the last matchup between the Jets and the Dolphins, the Dolphins were able to get a lead and the Jets never really adjusted. They never found a way to take over the game and beat the Dolphins who they were favored over and who, as you said before, Brian, were winless at the point of the matchup. This is something that Adam Gase was criticized a lot for when he was in Miami, the inability to adjust, being stubborn, sticking to things when he shouldn't stick to them. Is that something that you saw in that game? Did it bring back a flashback to you of some times when you would watch the Dolphins and sit through the same frustrations, except this time Gase was on the other side? Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about it too, is he just seems like a guy who's rigid to a fault, you know? I think that there is such a thing as being stubborn to a benefit and there's being stubborn to a fault. And I think more times than not, Adam Gase is stubborn to a fault where you don't see a whole lot of, all right, this isn't working, let's change to this. Or, all right, this is my quarterback skill sets. Let's utilize that. Let's look for ways to maximize what he does well and limit what he doesn't do well. There are just times, it's not constant, it's not every single game, but there are games where it's as if they come in with a game plan that's clearly not working and there's a lack of adjustments to go to something that might. 
And I've seen that so many times from Adam Gase. He, I, he's a smart guy, and I'm surprised that a guy as smart as him doesn't do a better job of changing things on the fly to some degree. And we've seen a lot of times where he just simply doesn't do that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. A lot of players are flourishing outside of Gase's system. We talked about Devontae Parker. He's finally blossoming now that he's away from Adam Gase. Look at what Ryan Tannehill is doing with the Titans. Does it shock you to see that? I was one of the very few people that was complimentary of Ryan Tannehill. I said that he was average at worst was mm-hmm. the way I described him. And a lot of people thought I was saying that he was awesome and fantastic. That's, no, it's, I thought he was average at worst. I didn't think that he was worse than just an average player. I didn't think he was bad. I didn't think he was horrible. I thought he was average. And um, it does surprise me that he's done so well with the Titans. But I was one of the people in his corner. I just thought the criticism far exceeded the reality. But it's a good point that you bring up. There have been a few former Dolphins that have played a lot better elsewhere. And some of that has to trace back to Adam Gase. It can't just be a complete coincidence that all of a sudden Tannehill looks to be flourishing. He's one of the league leaders in the time he's been the starter with the Titans. Mm-hmm. So, And it's not like he has a who's who of weapons to work with. I like what he has over there in A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. He's got some playmakers, but he's not, not an embarrassment of riches over there. And he had some playmakers to work with in Miami. And yeah, I just... It doesn't look good for Adam Gase in the NFL. If he gets fired with, as the head coach of the Jets, which it seems like it's a matter of time, it's more so when, not if, when that happens, I don't know what his next stop is if he's just going to be one of these offensive coordinators going forward because he hasn't built up a great resume as an NFL head coach, that's for sure. I'm with you on Tannehill. I always said that when he's at his best, he could be right around the 15th best quarterback in the league, just slightly above average. But the strength of Ryan Tannehill has always been his athleticism and his big arm. My friend Travis Wingfield hosts Locked on Dolphins, and what he likes to say is that Ryan Tannehill is football dumb. So you have to scheme around that. You have to scheme to his strengths. And when we looked at the Adam Gase offense when it was announced that he was hired, Joe Blewett, who's the host of TOJ Film Room, who does all the film for us at turnonthejets.com, 
He talked about how when he watched Gase's offense, he saw that there were a lot of open men and Tannehill just wasn't able to hit them. And at first, you think to yourself, okay, that's more on Tannehill than Gase. Now, I'm not going to say it's completely off Tannehill's shoulders, but what I thought about as we saw what Tannehill is doing in Tennessee, Brian, is that maybe what was going on was, yes, these guys were schemed open, but they weren't schemed open in a way that was going to play to Tannehill's strengths. They weren't throws that he was going to be able to make regularly. And the analogy they'll make, and I said this to Manish Mehta because he's a huge Philadelphia 76ers fan, if you're a coach of the Philadelphia 76ers and you game plan to get Ben Simmons open at the top of the key a bunch of times during the game, that's great that he's open, but that's not really a shot that he can hit very often. So even if you're putting him in a position to score, you're not playing to his strengths. And it feels like watching Tannehill now in Tennessee, there was a lot of that. Yeah, there were some open receivers, but they weren't open in a manner that played to what Tannehill does best. Yeah, that's fair. I think that Tannehill is a horrible deep ball thrower. I can't tell you how many times there were guys that were open and Tannehill just simply could not hit them. I mean, there were – when they had Mike Wallace, you know, and they've had some burners. They've had some guys. Kenny Stills can get open deep. Um, they've had dudes that have been wide open, and Tannehill just could not consistently get them the football. And sometimes when he missed, it was just like, dude, the receiver couldn't even get a hand on it. and <laughs> He was open by three yards, you know. So that's fair. I think that – Sometimes um, head coaches and offensive coordinators, they look at it and they say, this dude is in the NFL. My quarterback should be able to execute this deep ball or whatever it happens to be. But it's a good point by you is sometimes they're just deficient in a certain area and you have to work around it. It's not like the Broncos were airing it out with Tebow. They built a system around him to make him moderately successful or at least more successful than he would have been if they'd kept their system originally intact. Look at Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. They don't ask him to run some crazy run-and-shoot offense. They build it around his strength. They mix in the pass, and they utilize his legs. So, yeah, I think that there are times where Adam Gase doesn't look at it like that. I think the Bears are guilty of that, too. They are trying to shoehorn Trubisky into being this drop-back quarterback, and he's not that guy. He can use his legs to run. He can throw on the move. For whatever reason, Matt Nagy doesn't have him do that as often as I believe he should. So I think Adam Gase is guilty of that far too often as well. There's a lot of that with Darnold. He's at his best when he's on the move, when he's using his legs and throwing on the run. What do you think of Darnold so far as somebody who's watching him as a Dolphins fan who's invested from the other side of this rivalry, you're not a Jets fan who's hoping for him to do well because you want him to be the franchise quarterback. What do you see when you watch him? Obviously, you talked about the touchdown-to-interception ratio, but I think if you look at what he's been doing, it seems like the high highs are really, really strong. He's just got to cut down the yeah. low lows. And against the Dolphins, we saw a couple of really big mistakes. The one that really sticks out was that one that he threw down in the red zone. No idea what he was <laughs> even doing with that one. But if he can cut those out, Brian, what do you think? Where do you think he can get to? Yeah, well, that's the big if. If he can do that, because I agree with you. I think that is a great assessment by you. When he is on, it's like, this dude is freaking great, you know? And then he'll have a game 
or a drive or even just a throw. And you're like, what is wrong with this guy? And it's, it's a little bit like I'll compare him to two quarterbacks that were both drafted very highly. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. If Jameis Winston could just figure out how to protect the football, he could be a really good quarterback. But for whatever reason, he is just allergic to protecting the football. And with Marcus Mariota, it's similar to Darnold, not so much stylistically, but Mariota would have a game where he just looked ex- just phenomenal, looked excellent. You could see the athleticism. You could see the accuracy. And you're like, man, why isn't this guy more highly regarded? And then you would see the next game. And you were like, oh, that's why. He'll just have too many clunkers. And that's what, that's what Sam Darnold has done. He's got to limit the clunkers. And you're right, that <laughs> – that was the ugliest interception of the year. I don't care what anybody says with Sam Darnold in that first game against the Dolphins. I don't know what that was. That's something that a grade schooler would get scolded for, let alone a guy who's a number three overall pick in the NFL. You just don't do stuff like that. So I just think that it's one of these things where the head coach needs to do a better job of putting Darnold in a position to gain confidence where he's not, you know, of course, seeing ghosts and he's not pressing to a fault and he's not trying to do too much. I think that Darnold is a a victim of that. He's guilty of that many times, just trying to do too much instead of just play within yourself, man. I think he needs a lot more Belichick, do your job instead of, you know, you gotta, you gotta be the number three overall guy. You gotta live up to that. I just think he's trying too hard to, I don't know, live up to the hype or just make plays for his teammates. It might come from a good place. He's just, he's pressing to a fault. It's funny you mentioned Jameis Winston because I've said a couple of times that I think that what's going to separate Sam Darnold from becoming somebody like Jameis Winston as opposed to getting to where we want him to be, which is reaching the level of some of the quarterbacks that he was compared to coming out of USC, guys like Tony Romo, guys like Ben Roethlisberger, guys like Andrew Luck, is being able to cut out those terrible mistakes because Every quarterback's going to make mistakes, and especially when you're somebody like Sam Darnold, where you're going to be a bit of a riverboat gambler, you're going to make some mistakes here and there. The question is going to be, how much can you limit those mistakes that, like you said, Brian, you look at it and go, what is going on with this? I can't justify this. If you can go back and watch the tape and say, okay, I can at least see what he was trying to do there. He just tried to fit the ball into too tight of a window or something like that. Okay, fine. Those are going to happen. But you want to limit the mistakes that, like you said, the Jameis Winston mistakes, the ones that you just scratch your head and say, what was he even trying to do? The Dolphins were able to force Sam Darnold into a mistake like that the last time. What do you think that they're going to do in this matchup defense-wise? How do you think that they're going to game plan to try and force Darnold into doing that again? And how do you think that they're going to look to stop the run? Because Le'Veon Bell has had a disappointing season. I would argue that a lot of it has to do with the subpar offensive line and not so much because of Bell himself. But do you think that the Dolphins are going to have an effective game plan to be able to do to Darnold what they did the last time and to be able to make sure that Le'Veon Bell continues to have a disappointing season? Well, I would just say they shouldn't, but they might. (laughs) That's the best way I can say it. 
the Dolphins are hurting talent-wise. They just had a couple of safeties go down in Rashad Jones and also Bobby McCain. They are, like, these. they just have dudes in the secondary. They're just random guys. Like, look at these guys. They've got Ryan Lewis. They just gave him a contract extension. They moved Eric Rowe over to safety. They have Walt Aikens at safety. Nick Needham out of UTEP, an undrafted rookie free agent. They just have random dudes, you know? And they shouldn't. They shouldn't be effective against many offenses. But they might be against the Jets because, goodness, the Jets just got manhandled by the winless Bengals, for crying out loud. You know what I mean? (laughs) So from a talent standpoint, no. The Dolphins shouldn't slow down the Jets. But based on how the season has gone, they very well might. And it applies on the other side of the ball too, Brian, because as we know, the Dolphins have the 32nd ranked offense in the league, but they had their way with the Jets in the last matchup. Fitzpatrick was killing them with passes to running backs and especially to the tight end Mike Kosecki, who just destroyed the Jets. And he's been on a tear. He's been playing really, really well lately. This should loom large as we head into the weekend because the rematch is coming up this Sunday, but it's not in sunny Miami this time. It's here in New Jersey. So if you want to go see the Jets and the Dolphins and you don't have your tickets yet, you want to get good tickets at a good price, go ahead and download the Vivid Seats mobile app right now and use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout. You'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. You can go to that Jets-Dolphins game or you can go to something else. If you want, you can go to a wrestling match. You can go to a boxing match. You can go to a concert, a hockey game, a basketball game, anything you want. Whatever it is you want to go to, Just download the Vivid Seats mobile app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you will get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. And Brian, we talked about the strong execution that Miami was able to pull off the first time that these two teams played this season. Do you think that they're going to be able to execute like that again against the Jets in this rematch? Because if they're able to do that, the Jets are going to be in trouble. We saw it against Cincinnati again last week. In fact, I would argue that Cincinnati followed that Miami blueprint because Dalton did a lot of what Fitzpatrick did in that first Dolphins-Jets matchup. Do you think we're looking at a lot of that happening again on Sunday, this time at MetLife? stadium well I like the Jets run defense and if you can make a team one-dimensional when they're playing on the road especially if that quarterback is Ryan Fitzpatrick Mm. you know like that he sometimes it's like he's got a a wine appetite with a beer wallet you know you hear (laughs) that I think that applies to Ryan Fitzpatrick and particularly on the road where he's just competitive and a lot of times that's great but sometimes he tries to be Superman when, you know, he's not. He's not the guy. He's, uh, he's Robin. He's not Batman. And he has these delusions that he is Batman and sometimes that plays into the other team's hand. So I think that, again, I would favor the Jets at home just from an on-paper standpoint. They should be able to slow down the run. And if you get Fitzpatrick trying to be Superman when he's really not, You could force a couple of turnovers if you're the Jets. So I look at both sides of the ball and the Dolphins being on the road. The Jets should have an advantage, not by leaps and bounds, but at least an advantage over the Dolphins on both sides of the football, which, again, if they don't win, it's got to go back to coaching, mostly. You know, I know the players got to play, but a lot of this goes back to coaching. Can you imagine if Belichick 
had advantages on both sides of the football, how many games is he going to lose that way? I don't see very many, but for Adam Gase, you could have advantages on both sides of the football and still lose. That's not good. Brian, I believe the term is irrational confidence guy with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's what Bill Simmons always used to say about guys that are streak shooters that shoot a little too much when they shouldn't, and guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick who get a little too cocky when sometimes they need to remember that they're Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's right. That's a very good way to put it. It's like, you know, stay within yourself. I guess, you know, there is an argument to be made. Hey, on this type of team, when you're lacking talent, the heck with it. Just let it rip, you know? So I could see that side of it. And I think that in this situation, it makes sense. Just have at it. You know what? Try to fit the ball into the tight window. Fine. But there are times when the talent level is better and he shouldn't be forcing throws that he does. But I guess there could be an argument to be made that on a team that's really lacking talent, like the heck with it. Just have the mentality that you're down and you got to make a play and force things to happen. Some of them are going to work out. You know, I think that the Dolphins position, they would be okay with him taking some risks that he probably shouldn't just because of the position that they are in talent-wise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. We've mostly talked about the Dolphins so far, but I want to ask your opinion of what you've seen out of the Jets and Adam Gase specifically because he was the coach of the Dolphins, as we've talked about, and I'm curious to hear what you think about the job he's done. You said before it looks like it's only a matter of time for Gase. Obviously, the owner, Christopher Johnson, or acting owner, I should say, because Woody Johnson is over in England right now, but Christopher Johnson is the acting owner. He came out and said that Gase is not only not getting fired this year, he will be back in 2020 no matter what. So he may get fired, but it's not going to be for at least another year. When you look at the Jets, and then when you look at the job that Adam Gase has done, as somebody who's a Dolphins fan and a keen observer of the NFL, what do you think overall? I don't love that. And that's a vote of confidence on steroids. You know what I mean? Where I would think it would just be, yeah, we're not going to fire him, Ron Rivera style in 2019. But to double down and to say, yeah, he's going to be around <laughs> next year as well. That's what they said. I didn't catch that. They said he's going to be around for the 2020 season already. Mm-hmm. That's what they've committed to. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I, yeah. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, I guess the hope is that the marriage between Gase and Darnold turns a corner because that's what you're banking on at this point. And they have really, I, I think that 
I've never bought into the theory of being pot committed in football. If you're at the Texas Hold'em poker table and you put a decent amount of chips in the middle of the table and you say, well, I'm pot committed now, even though my odds aren't great to win this hand. Well, I might as well put more money in the middle of the table and hope to luck out. I really think that's what the Jets are doing with Adam Gase. They're hoping to get lucky instead of being realistic about their, their odds of that working out. And I just don't think that's a wise move to make. I think that it's just, it's not going to lead to great success in my mind. I would be stunned if it does. So I would, if that's the case and the odds are better than not, that it's going to continue to be lackluster at best below average. You know, I, I just, I would turn the page. I wouldn't be committing to him long-term. Do you think that Sam Darnold is good enough and that this roster is good enough that if they put enough pieces in there, a little bit better on the offensive line, maybe an edge rusher in a corner, that perhaps they could overcome what seemed to be Adam Gase's coaching shortcomings? Uh, I mean, it's a weird deal because I still have some optimism for Sam Darnold. When you see good Sam, it's really, really good. And... I, if you're a Jets fan, you just got to hope that he doesn't turn into a Jameis Winston where it's just the bad Darnold is too, you know, it's too common. It's too prevalent. Um, but yeah, certainly if you upgrade the, the weapons to throw to, it's not like he's thrown to a who's who. It's not like they're running the ball great. It's not like he has an awesome offensive line. So from a talent standpoint, certainly there needs, there need to be a lot of improvements there. And um, if you're optimistic about Darnold, yeah, Darnold could have, he's got the potential to make Adam Gase a better head coach than he actually is. You know, um, I would just be looking at it where I would rather have a head coach that, that can put the, the quarterback and the team in a better position to have success instead of hoping to be, more times than not bailed out by the talent of the the offense and the quarterback. You know, I just think that Adam Gase is more so of a, more so a head coach that at this stage needs to be bailed out by the, the people around him instead of him benefiting those people himself. Brian, I thought it might be fun since we're talking about the Jets and the Dolphins here to talk about some of the bigger moments that have occurred in the Jets-Dolphins rivalry over the years. And the first one I thought I would bring up is one of the ones that still gets talked about to this day. As a Dolphins fan, will you admit that Don Shula turned the sprinklers on <laughs> on purpose before the 1982 AFC Championship game, or I should say 1983 was the year of the game, but it was the 1982 season. I mean, hey, if he did, it's all good. You know, <laughs> these whiny Jet fans, I don't know how long they're going to take to get over it. It's like, get over it already. Good Lord, you guys sound like crybabies. You know, like, uh, think of the Patriots. Remember that dude on the snowplow that cleared a path? And like, <laughs> this stuff happens. Commonplace. You go back to the Notre Dame 05 Bush push game against USC. USC was playing in a forest. The grass was so high. You know, it happens. You know, we're, we go back to 82, you know, the 82 season, like you said, 83. 
from a, a field not being in the best condition, like it happens. It's just funny to me that all these crybaby Jet fans are still boo-hooing about that one. You guys sound like complete weenies. Get over it, you know? Yeah, it happened. Deal with it. Move on. Turn the page. Speaking of crying over spilt milk, how about the fact that, of course, the Jets passed on Dan Marino to pick Kenny O'Brien, thus changing <laughs> the course of history. The Dolphins didn't win a Super Bowl, but they did go to one, and we'll never know what Dan Marino might have done as a Jet, but obviously that was a huge turning point in both franchises. I will say this, though, and I think you may agree with me on this, Brian. While Kenny O'Brien never turned out to be anywhere near as good as Dan Marino, he was a really good quarterback. He was a starter for seven and a half years, a three-time Pro Bowler, and he did really well against Dan Marino head-to-head, and I'm going to bring up another memory from the rivalry in a second that involves both Marino and O'Brien. He also had a 6-5 and five record lifetime head-to-head against Dan Marino, so while obviously it's a sore point that the Jets passed on Dan Marino for Kenny O'Brien, it's not like they passed on Dan Marino for Todd Blackledge or something, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's funny, too, because um, Chad Pennington, he's kind of like the opposite of Ken O'Brien. You know what I mean? Where Mm -hmm. Ken O'Brien is always compared to Marino, and so he looks like he stinks when he really didn't. And Chad Pennington is compared to other Jet quarterbacks. And so Chad Pennington looks to be better than he actually was. So it's a a weird deal with the comparison thing over there. But you're right. Ken O'Brien was not Todd Blackledge. He wasn't horrible. He wasn't a disaster. He just compared to Marino, and so he looks far worse than he actually was. The 1986 shootout between the Dolphins and the Jets, which a lot of people still say is one of the greatest games ever played, there was over 1,000 yards of passing offense in that game, which you very rarely see, even in today's NFL. And we're talking about 1986. This one went to overtime. Wesley Walker had four touchdowns, including the game winner. I know, obviously, if you're a Dolphins fan, this wasn't exactly the outcome that you wanted to see. But, boy, that was some game. And even going back now and watching it, I still get a kick out of seeing Wesley Walker taking off the top of the defense. And, boy, was he something to watch. Just an absolute burner Brian, he averaged 19 yards a catch for his career, which is really insane if you think about it, especially back then. That was a hell of a game, though, and to this day, I don't know about you, but I still enjoy watching it. Yeah, and I, it's funny. When you think about what all those yards would translate into in 2019, you know? Mm-hmm. Think about how much the game has changed and how much more offensive-friendly it is with illegal contact and defensive holding and those are automatic first downs if you get caught you know doing <laughs> that and of course a lot of DBs are going to try to avoid it which leads to better passing windows and all of that it's much more of a offensive friendly game much more so today than it was back then so i wonder those 1000 yards back in the mid 80s what the conversion chart would be till now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what does that equate to? 1,500 yards today? Something ungodly like that. <laughs> it just shows you how crazy that game was in the mid-'80s. Oh, Brian and Marino always seemed to bring out the best in each other. There were a lot of really great games that they had head-to-head. 
And that was one of them. And yeah, like you said, putting up numbers like that back then is just insane. I always say that is why, as much as I hate to say it as a Jets fan, Dan Marino really has to be considered one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time because he was so far ahead of his time. He was putting up 2019 numbers back in the early and mid-1980s, which is unbelievable. Yeah, man, the, the 1984 season where the, what, the 48 touchdown passes lasted as long as they did, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing that he was able to do that because the game has just changed so much since that time. And for Marino to have that prolific of a season in an era where it just it wasn't set up for that type of prolific passing, it's crazy. It really is. You got to have to wait all the way until Peyton Manning decades later broke that single season touchdown record. And also you think there's only been a handful of guys where Peyton Manning did it twice, but when he was a Bronco and had the 55 touchdown passes, Tom Brady with the 50, there's only a couple of guys that have surpassed 48 touchdown passes in a single season in NFL history. So it is, it's pretty crazy how prolific Dan Marino was back then. And he was prolific in 1994, and I think you know the game that I'm about to bring up. And this is something that also changed history in a lot of ways for the Jets. Going into this game at the Meadowlands, the Dolphins were 7-4. and four. They were in first place. The Jets were 6-5. and five. And obviously, if the Jets had won, they would have a record that was tied with the Dolphins, and they would have, by virtue of the victory, been in first place because of the tiebreaker. The Jets got off to a big lead, and then they just crumbled down the stretch. And the play that everybody remembers from this one, Brian, was Dan Marino driving the Dolphins down the field, looking for what would be the game-winning score. He goes to spike the ball, but of course, he doesn't actually spike it. Instead, he throws it to a wide-open Mark Ingram in the end zone for the touchdown, The entire stadium, I was there, went completely silent. He froze Aaron Glenn in his tracks. And now Aaron Glenn was a rookie, but he was still one of the best corners in the league at the time. And it was just one of those moments that turned the corner because the Dolphins then went on to win the division. The Jets went on to lose all the rest of their games. They finished at 6-10. and And then Leon Hess came out and said he was an old man. He was tired of waiting to win. He wanted to win now. So he was firing the coach after one season. That coach was some guy named Pete Carroll, who, as we know, Brian would go on to do nothing the rest of his career. I don't know where he is now. (laughs) And instead, he brings in a guy that he was very comfortable with because he knew that this guy was capable of winning now. A guy named Rich Kotite, who obviously went on to coach the Jets to six Super Bowls. So that worked out very well. To this day, I still look back at that game and curse about it because not only was it a terrible loss that I was in attendance for, but it ended up chasing Pete Carroll out of town and bringing in Rich Kotite and ushering in the worst two years of Jets football ever. Man, dude, just to hear you tell that story. How many horrible things are involved at the same time, you know? And it's like, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. The Jets could have drafted Dan Marino, Mm -hmm. and he carved them up for years. Mm -hmm. And that was another chapter in the book of Dan Marino carving up the Jets. But yeah, man, the fake spike. How cool is that? That's one of those moments where it's one of, certainly the biggest moments in this rivalry, but it's one of the most memorable moments of Dan Marino's career. 
and to uh, to fake out the Jets like that and for it to lead to, <laughs> to the history shortly after that the Jets experienced. Yeah, man, that's one for the books for sure. Here's one that actually went the Jets way for a change. The year 2000, we know about this. Dan Marino was gone. And at this point, the quarterback of the Dolphins was Jay Fiedler, who, by the way, is from Long Island, New York, over in Oceanside. And he was taking over as the quarterback for the Dolphins. And the Dolphins got out to a huge lead. They were actually crushing the Jets. And we did an entire show on this with Marcus Coleman. We did a watch-along where he took us through it step-by-step reliving the memories through his eyes, and he was one of the biggest players in that game because he had three interceptions, including two of them in overtime. And so it was 30-7 to to start the fourth quarter, and Brian, I had somewhere to be early in the morning, so I said to myself, okay, no reason to be here anymore. Myself, my dad, my brother, my father's friend, we all left, and as we were driving home, we heard the comeback Uh. unfold. And it was crazy. We got home just in time to see Marcus Coleman's second interception, setting up John Hall for the game-winning field goal. The play that everybody remembers, as you know, is the Jumbo Elliott play where he's juggling the ball in the back of the end zone. And Al Michaels, with shock in his voice, saying, and the pass is complete to Jumbo Elliott? And so the Jets make that huge comeback and come back from being down 30-7 to in the fourth quarter and win it in overtime. Ooh, that was one of the great Monday night games of all time. I'm sure that it's not something that you like to watch a lot because of the end result, but that was a thriller and another interesting chapter in this Jets-Dolphins rivalry. Although, the interesting part of this, of course, is that for all of that, the Jets ended up not even making the playoffs that year. They finished 9-7 and seven and ended up not getting in the playoffs. So the game really didn't end up meaning anything, but it's still a fantastic game and a fun memory for Jets fans. Oh, yeah. And I remember watching that game with my dad. I went over to my dad's house and uh, we're just watching it, loving it because the Dolphins are just killing them, just killing them. And then, yeah, Jason Taylor mocking the crowd Mm -hmm. and the whole thing. (laughs) And then here they come, the Jets, is Wayne Corbett and company just storming back. And that... That weird, obnoxious close-up of Jumbo Elliott's face watching the replay, you know? Oh, my gosh. It's just nightmare-inducing for a Dolphins fan. But it's just, as a football fan, you got to love stuff that's memorable like that. Even if you come out on the losing end, I always say this. I love the Miami Dolphins. I love the NFL more than I love the Miami Dolphins. And so as much as I hated that game as a Dolphins fan, there is something about it as an NFL fan that is cool. You have to reluctantly admit that it was cool to see something memorable like that, even though my team came out on the losing end. Another time that your team came out on the losing end, but I thought it was an example of what you're saying about how much fun football can be was in 2002. The Jets that year, and you mentioned Chad Pennington, had started off with Vinny Testaverde, But he wasn't getting the job done. Chad Pennington came in when Testaverde got hurt, and he played well, so they rolled with him. They started off 2-5, and 
And then they went on this incredible tear, and Chad Pennington had one of the best seasons that a Jets quarterback has ever had. All of a sudden, you go into this last game, and the team is 9-6. and six. But the problem is, Brian, that in order for them to win the division and get into the playoffs, they need one of a few different scenarios to happen. They needed certain teams to lose. And there were a couple of teams that they needed to lose to possibly get into the wild card, and none of them did. And it was a 4 o'clock game, and I remember we were going to the game, and as we're getting there, the Dolphins were beating the Patriots by 10 points late in the fourth quarter. And I remember saying to my father, oh, I don't even want to go to this game because the Dolphins are going to win this. They're going to get the division. And then we're going to have to sit through this game, and it's just going to be a completely worthless game. Well, Brian, as you know, what happened was Dave Wanstead had the most perplexing game plan that I think I've ever seen. He threw the ball a ton, ended up with a bunch of incomplete passes, stopping the clock. The Patriots were able to get the ball a bunch of times, and they were able to end up tying the game and sending it into overtime. And I remember this was before everybody had the streaming and all this stuff with the internet. Somebody in the parking lot had a TV set up, and it had grainy reception, and you just had a huge crowd of people around this TV in the parking lot as the Patriots were driving in overtime. And we're watching as they're getting closer and closer and closer. And now Vinatieri lines up for the field goal. And we're all standing there. And Vinatieri kicks the field goal. And it's good. And we are all going insane. People that have never met in their lives are hugging like they're best friends. It was a huge celebration. Everybody's going nuts. There were people that were saying they were going to drive down to Foxborough and kiss Adam Vinatieri on the mouth for making that field goal. <laughs> but then we said, okay, it's the Jets. So what's going to happen? We're going to go into the stadium, they're going to lose, and the Dolphins are going to get the division, right? Because that's usually how this goes. They were playing the Packers with Brett Favre. Instead, they ended up going in there and just absolutely murdering the Packers and ended up getting into the playoffs the following week. They handed Peyton Manning the worst loss of his career, 41-0 drubbing at the Meadowlands. And my theory on that, Brian, is that this happened in January of 2003. 16 years later, he was playing the long game. Peyton Manning finally got his revenge on the Jets by recommending Adam Gase to be the head coach of the team. So I think he was playing that long game there and trying to get the Jets in the long run. 16 years he waited, but he finally got them. But that was an incredible memory and that was another case where the Jets and the Dolphins went down to the wire and the Dolphins looked like they had it. And uncharacteristically, something actually went the Jets' way that day. You know, I, I have to ask you just a quick question because listening to you tell that story and how many things have gone wrong for the Jets <laughs> over the years, you know, and I'm not trying to steer you too far off course, but sure. I'm just curious, as a Jets fan, Knowing the history and knowing how many things have gone wrong, how much optimism has been there from the beginning for Sam Darnold and where it stands right now? I had a ton of optimism, and I still do. A lot of it is because I watched him at USC, and then I broke down the tape, and I spoke to a couple of the people that break down the tape for our website who looked at it too, and then I spoke to guys like Dan Arlovsky, who breaks this stuff down, and, and Arlovsky absolutely loves Sam Darnold, and I never expected the Jets to be able to get him because I thought he for sure was going number one overall to the Cleveland Browns, and so when they got him, I was really excited. And I thought that he had the potential to be somebody like a Tony Romo or an Andrew Luck. And then last year, there were some ups and downs, but he finished the season really, really strong. This year, as you said, there's been peaks and valleys, but the last four games, he's played really, really well. We saw that great game he had against the Cowboys. 
To me, as we said before, Brian, it's all going to come down to can he find a way to cut out the Jameis Winston-like mistakes? Because this past week against the Bengals, I thought he played pretty well despite the stats. I think a lot of that had to do with guys dropping passes. The O-line was a disaster. And if you looked at Darnold and just isolated him and watched his film, I thought he was pretty solid. If that's going to be his floor going forward, a game like what happened against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday, where it wasn't his best game ever, but he didn't make the back-breaking mistakes and overall he played fine, then I think that he has a chance to be a special quarterback. But right now, obviously, there's still that thought in the back of your head that he could be that Jameis Winston-type player who's making those back-breaking mistakes on a weekly basis. So if you can avoid that, I'm very optimistic. But I still believe very strongly in him. That's maybe yeah. foolish if you're a Jets fan because of all the things that have gone wrong, as you said, but that's where I'm at <laughs> with him right now. No, that's fair, man. I was just curious because when you were talking about all these horror stories of the Jets <laughs> over the years, I was just curious if the fan base was like, ah, something else is going to go wrong with Darnold. It's just the way it plays out. I was curious how much uh, optimism there was, but I appreciate that. I'm, I'm interested to hear that from a Jets fan for sure. Don't go by me for the whole fan base because I'm sure there are plenty of people that are very skeptical of Darnold for the exact reason that you said because everybody's just used to having the football yanked from them the way that Charlie Brown always did with Lucy on the Peanuts cartoon. So I'm sure there are plenty of Jets fans that would be less optimistic than I am about Darnold right now. And the last memory that I wanted to bring up between the Jets and the Dolphins, by the way, Brian, involves a quarterback that played for both teams. It's been a while since the Jets and Dolphins have really had anything to fight over because generally it's been a situation where the Jets and the Dolphins over the last decade have either not been good or not been good at the same time. But 2008 was interesting because that was the year that the Jets had Brett Favre. They got off to that 8-3 and three start. And then, as we said, Brian, as always, is the case. The Jets found a way to let it unravel. Favre hurt his shoulder, didn't tell anybody. And down the stretch of the season, after starting 8-3 and three and everybody thinking they were going to the Super Bowl, especially with Tom Brady out for the year, what happened was the Jets only won one more game, and it was actually a fluke game that they won because the Bills were trying to kill the clock, and Abram Elam came on a safety blitz, knocked the ball loose. Sean Ellis ran in for a touchdown. Other than that, they didn't win a single game, and they shouldn't have even won that one. So they ended up finishing 9-7. and seven. Going into that last week of the season, the Patriots were playing, and if the Patriots won, they would get to 11-5, and five, and that would mean that there was no way that the Jets were going to be able to win the division. The Patriots did win, so the 4 o'clock matchup became if the Dolphins won, they would get the division with Chad Pennington, who is now with the Dolphins because the Jets had released him after trading for Brett Favre. If the Jets won, the Patriots would get the division. So, as I admitted to Kerry Rhodes when I had him on the show to talk about the 2008 season, Brian, I was a Dolphins fan that day because I wanted Chad Pennington to get into the playoffs. I was tired of the Patriots. The last thing I wanted to see was Bill Belichick in there again, especially after the way that he ran out of town. So I actually sat there and, believe it or not, silently rooted for the Dolphins to win, which they did, and got their last division title. So that was my last major memory of a Jets-Dolphins rivalry moment, but I thought you would appreciate that, especially being a Dolphins fan. 
I appreciate that, man. I like that you are a closet Dolphins fan. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's good, man. You're, you're making strides over here. Pretty soon, you're going to be out in the open with it. You're going to admit that you love Don Shula and Dan Marino and the history of the Finns. And you've got an aqua and orange back mural that you've been covering up the whole thing, man. But no, I hear you. It's there's one thing that we share in common, and that is a general hatred for the Patriots. <laughs> I respect how great they've been, but good Lord, you want to talk about – I mean, think about what Alabama has done in the SEC under Nick Saban. That's nothing mm-hmm. compared to what the Patriots have mm-hmm. done to the rest of the AFC East under Brady and Belichick, really. We have been at the uh, bottom of the barrel, short end, short end of the stick, on that one because they have just absolutely owned that division for way too long. We will never see another run like this, I'm convinced, especially in the salary cap era. If you think about it, the Patriots haven't had a losing record since the year 2000. It's incredible. And they've won the division every year since Brady has been the quarterback with two exceptions. The 2002 season, which I mentioned, that came down to the wire, and the year that Brady was out for the year, 2008, which we just talked about. So it really is a remarkable run. All these Super Bowls, all these division titles, all these winning records in the salary cap era when nobody else is coming even close. I don't even know who's second during this millennium. It's unbelievable. It is. It really is. And in a day and age, like you mentioned, with a hard salary cap, free agency, it's just designed to push everybody toward the middle with the NFL draft, the way that's constructed. So for the Patriots to have this run, for whatever reason, it's so strange to me where the common talking point is that the Patriots have benefited so much from that division. They have just not as much as people make it out to be. Like, look at, look at the standings right now. Look at the Saints in their division. Who's killing it in the NFC South? By the way, the Tampa Bay Bucks are in second place, you know? <laughs> Everybody's got a sub-500 record. Everybody stinks in the NFC South. Of course, the Saints have benefited from it. There are other examples, too in the league right now, but no one's going to be like, Oh, the saints in their horrid division. It's just, they look at it like the Patriots have benefited and they have, but just not by leaps and bounds, the way many make you out to believe. And the opposite is very true where the bills, the jets, the dolphins are so up against it with the Patriots towering above them in their division year after year. It makes life so difficult to challenge for a playoff spot or to make real noise if you get into the playoffs and sneak in as a wild card. It's really tough. The Bills are a real team this year, and they're going to be on the road if they sneak into the playoffs. You know, that wild card weekend, that's the way it's most likely going to end up. That's not easy. You know what I was saying, Brian, once, and this kind of puts it in perspective as a Jets fan, and it makes you sad, but since 1983 – The following quarterbacks have been in the Jets division and at no point was there a time when at least one of them wasn't in the division. Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, because remember before the realignment, and Tom Brady. And Mm -hmm. in fact, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning were in the Jets division together very briefly. So it really has been a bad luck of the draw. This is another reason why I'm really hoping that Darnold can be the guy because 
Tom Brady at some point has to retire. I know he's struggling this year, but I think you'll agree with me on this. I will believe that Tom Brady's career as a top passer is done forever when the body is cold and dead and buried. Until then, I'm going to think that he's going to sit up like the Undertaker at any time and reclaim <laughs> the throne because we've seen it so many times, right? Yeah. It's, they just they don't have the same type of offensive talent right now, but the struggles of the Patriots' offense have a lot to do with the pieces around Tom Brady than it being Tom Brady. So it's ridiculous how it goes with the criticisms of him right now. It should be the criticisms of the offense as a whole. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you're right. As long as Brady and Belichick are still in business, that's a tough, tough out come playoff time. And they're going to find a way to maximize their strengths and to limit their opponents. That's what they always do. So, yeah. I know everybody's down on them right now. They're ten and two. Good lord, people are talking about them like they're a, a three win team right now. You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> they're they'll find a way to be even more effective than they probably should be. How good that turns out to be when the playoffs roll around, we'll see. But I know people are far too down on them right now, and they have had a history of just proving people wrong. One last thing I want to ask you about, Brian, because it made me laugh when I saw it. You have a video up on your Twitter teaching people the proper way to eat and love Velveeta cheese. Talk to me about this video, and what is it that you love about Velveeta? Okay, well, here's the thing, man. Um, I think it's great for grilled cheese. I think it's great for if you go with nachos and cheese and just warm it up. And I think it's fantastic for homemade tacos. So the video I put out, I just sliced up Velveeta cheese and put them on my homemade tacos. And people think it's just the worst thing ever. So I'm not saying Velveeta is, should be the only thing in your playbook when it comes to homemade tacos. I'm simply saying it should be in your playbook. And there are a lot of people that look down on the goodness of Velveeta cheese, particularly on homemade tacos. And it goes back to the, People being anti-Turkey on Thanksgiving. Those people are crazy. They're out of their minds. And while I'm not saying it's the only thing that you should consider on your homemade tacos, it needs to be part of what you partake in. And if you go the opposite way and say it's disgusting, not worth your time, it's awful, I, I think that you are completely and utterly wrong. So I put out a video in case you have not experimented with Velveeta cheese on your homemade tacos. And you can follow the, the steps. To, to make your uh, goodness come to life if you so see fit. Three things that you better not slander around Brian No: Velveeta, turkey on Thanksgiving, and Applebee's. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you could add candy corn for Halloween as well because mm. that's one of my other passionate pleas. And, oh, and one final thing. You can't spell Super Bowl with one word. Super Bowl is two words, okay? <laughs> you got to capitalize the S, capitalize the B, Two words, Super Bowl, it's the biggest game we got in sports. We got to format it right. I'm a stickler for that. By the way, true or false, your mom got you a gift certificate to Applebee's for your birthday. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. I think she did. Actually, I'm pretty <laughs> sure she did because we went there. She came here to Portland to visit, and we went there. Um, so I know she got me one recently, 
And uh, I believe it was for my birthday. I'm not sure which occasion it was, but yeah, she did get me an Applebee's birth, uh, uh, an Applebee's gift card recently. That is a true story. She knows her son very well. That's the perfect gift for you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I appreciated it very much. Brian No, the host of the aptly named The Brian No Show, 12 to 3 Pacific Time, 3 to 6 Eastern on NBC Sports Northwest and 620 Rip City Radio. Brian, as I've told you before, I really enjoy your show because you're able to do something that not a lot of people are able to do. You have a local talk show, but you're able to weave in and out between local stories, national stories, and you're able to do it in an entertaining and informative way without being repetitive because I can't tell you how annoying it is to listen to a sports talk radio show and hear nothing but the same topic for three hours. You get this a ton on local radio, but you never do it. So anybody that is looking for a fun sports talk show to listen to while you're in the office, you're winding down your day, I really recommend checking out Brian's show. Brian, thanks so much for joining me again. I really appreciate it. For those that want to try and get a hold of you, maybe want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the kind words. It's very nice of you. You can just uh, hit me up or follow me. I'm always available at The No Show. I spell my name N-O-E. So at The No Show is where to find me. And you might be able to get him to take you up on the no challenge because that's one thing that you do all the time, right? The no contest. That's right, Scotty. And if you're in this area, you feel free. You know, you don't even have to be in this area. We can figure out a long distance <laughs> challenge. But I uh, take on all comers when it comes to either coworkers or listeners, anybody. If they have a random event that they want to compete with me in, I'm all for it. I think it's fun. <laughs> Go ahead and follow Brian on social media and maybe throw out a challenge for the no contest. You never know. You could be going up against Brian doing something. Maybe it's who can do the most squats in a minute or maybe it's who can come up with the <laughs> most Dan Marino stats within a 60-second time frame or something. I don't know. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.